Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is the founder and director of the Merciful Servants of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here's Pastor Brad. Good morning, everyone. I apologize that I'm running in here a few minutes late. It is already 11.06. I'm sorry, I had a, three meetings this morning, and one just ran over and squeezed in an extra one. So it's one of those days of meetings. My, okay. I must say I'd much rather be teaching the Bible than being in meetings. So thank you for being here, and let's, uh, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 14 and pick up where we left off. Uh, the uh, <clears throat> scripture this morning, we're, we want to look at just verses 15 through 17, and I, I walked off without my little prayer card. I thought it was in my book. I don't have it. Can I borrow somebody? Yeah. Thank you. I'll just borrow that. We can look at our little prayer card here that we can pray before we study. But we're going to look at, a, we're only looking at 14, 15, 16, and 17 this morning. I know it doesn't sound like a lot. It's a short passage, but very important passage. So we want to try and really fully understand everything. We might be able to go a little further, just depending on time, but getting a late start, I'm a little worried that it wouldn't. But let's do, uh, let's do stop. And if you have your prayer for before study, let's pray that together and just ask the Lord's guidance and blessing as we study. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise, together with our Father, who is from everlasting, and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. God bless you. Let's look at this passage and pick up where we left off. Um, Jesus asked his disciples, very, very important question this morning. Uh, remember, he's been speaking with them. This is all the night before he is betrayed, or the night in which he is betrayed, some would say, um, that he has had his last supper with them. They've celebrated uh, their uh, Passover together. He's washed their feet. They've, there's this, been this anxiousness in the room. Because they sense something's building. Jesus keeps talking about going away. And that he has to leave them. And they're concerned. And he always sees that in their face. And he began this chapter talking about, don't let your heart be so troubled. But those are good words to us. <laughs> when Jesus, if we could only hear the words of Jesus saying, don't let your heart be so troubled. Uh, and there's certainly a lot of times when I need to hear that. And, uh, and, and he says... So he ended that passage last time we were together talking about that whoever believes in him will do even greater works than him because he's going to go to the Father. And, and he said, whatever you ask in my name, uh, I'll do it, that the Father may be glorified. And we talked last time about what that means to ask in his name, you know, to really align our hearts with the will of God, not just to use this phrase in Jesus' name, but to really align our hearts with the will of God and to know that we are lined up with the will of God. So, so he continues that in verse 15. Now let's read verse 15. And Jesus says these words. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let's stop right there for a minute. Jesus is again saying that he's going away. I'm going to pray to the Father, he says, 
and the Father will uh, give you another counselor. And you can imagine what they're thinking right now. Well, no, we, why do we need another counselor? What's wrong with you? We want you. We've been with you three years. We're, we're still concerned. We're still troubled. You know, you're, you're going to go away? They, don't, they can't understand. There's no way they could have understood what was about to happen in the next 24 hours. Jesus would be betrayed, arrested, beaten, crucified. There's no way they, they could understand that. There's some parallels to our lives. There's just no way we can understand what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, the Lord forbid that anything horrible happen to anyone in this room tomorrow or later today or whatever. We, we, we just can't know what's going to happen. So Jesus is trying to teach them to be anchored in him. No matter what happens, be anchored in, in me. He said, if you love me, he begins by talking, he talks about his love and keeping him his. If you love me, that's a big word, that little word, if. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What is Jesus really saying to them? He's saying to them that they're about to embark on an apostolic ministry. They don't know it yet. They don't know that they're going to be sent out to lead the church, to take the gospel to the whole world. They, they think this is the Messiah and he's going to set up the kingdom. They, don't understand, they will understand it. Once he's resurrected, once he has sent the Holy Spirit to personally empower them. We're going to read more about that in this very chapter uh, as we go along. That the idea he's, he's just leaving out for them there that you're actually going to understand more as the Holy Spirit comes to you. But for now, they're seeing this leader this, that they've loved, that has loved them, and that they... They don't understand why he's going away. And he's saying, all of a sudden, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He's got a lot of work for them to do. And I think Jesus is not disconnecting something here. He's not disconnecting our love from the work of the gospel. In fact, he is connecting them completely. The work of the gospel, the work of the church, the work of our lives as disciples of Christ, to share the Lord with others, to live the love of Jesus Christ. It has to be anchored in the love of his. The love for Jesus and the love of his commandments. So which commandments do you think Jesus is talking about? All of them. And they're thinking, well, I wonder what that is. Well, we have 613 commandments from the Moses law. Jesus has kind of summarized it all into just love your neighbor, love God with everything and love neighbor as yourself, you know. But, but maybe also... I think he probably, they don't know it here yet, but when the time comes, they're going to be thinking back to how about the Sermon on the Mount? Now, we haven't actually studied the Sermon on the Mount here, but you've read it before. The Sermon on the Mount is probably Jesus' greatest summation of his teachings. Some scholars think that it wasn't necessarily a sermon delivered at once. I think it was actually a sermon delivered many times over. We just have this one time recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Spans three chapters, five, six, and seven. And it's some of the greatest, it is the greatest teaching that any teacher could ever teach, the Sermon on the Mount. And in there, what are some of the things that we could review uh, that Jesus, what are some of the things that the commandments Jesus told them in the Sermon on the Mount? He talked about reconciling. He talked about a ministry of reconciliation. Um, he, He talked about having pure hearts. He talked about uh, doing the works of God, but doing them from a pure heart, not for public approval. Uh, He talked about forgiveness. All of these things, these these things are going to come flooding back to their minds. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's no way they could become his apostles sent out to change the world if they didn't love him with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I think that's a lesson for us today. Can we obey, can we really obey Christ if we don't love him? Can we really live a Christian life? Can we live the spirit-filled life of love if we don't really love Jesus? We can't. 
And, and there's much, John has so much to say about this. It, these next several chapters, by the time we get to the end of the, Sylvia and I were having a conversation last night about a part of the end of the Gospel of John. And I, I couldn't help but think about that in studying for this because this whole idea of love, love, we must love with all our hearts. We must love God unconditionally. It's beautiful that God meets us where we're at. You'll study in the, in the last chapter of the book or the next last chapter, you'll study where Jesus and Peter are walking down by the seashore and he says to Peter, do you love me? You know, over and over he says, do you love me? And the way he's asking him, do you unconditionally love me? And Peter doesn't get that. He, he doesn't understand that. He's, he's more like, well, yes, I love you. And Peter uses that word, you know, for I, I love you, the phileo, the, that love. How well do we understand the unconditional love of God in our lives and that we must come to a place where we have that love for him? So if Jesus were here this morning asking you, do you love me? Will you keep my commandments? And Jesus uses that word of unconditional love. What would you be able to answer him? Would you do better than Peter? And say, oh, of course, Lord, I'd give you, I'd love you. But yes, you'll try and learn to do it every day. Yeah, yeah. We're human. Yes. And, And I think that's important to acknowledge. Jesus knew they were human. And Jesus knew they would fall. And Jesus, he's already, you know, he knows Peter's about to fall. And he one of the most important things that I think we can take away from this thought is that, is that God always meets us where we are. The life of the Christian faith is not one that is, okay, here's the way, now jump up here and see if you can do it. No, God always meets us where we are, lovingly draws us in, and lovingly begins to equip us. We started a class last night on Wednesday nights to talk about prayer. And this is so, we, we talked a little about this in that class too. The, the idea that God, God is inviting us into a union with him. To become a believer in Jesus Christ is not just to believe a set of ideals. It's to enter into the very life of God. And to walk in this life with God. And, and that's where he, he goes, notice, the, in these few, notice how he ends this. He, he says to them, at that last verse in 17, he says, about the Holy Spirit, he says, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Now, I want to I stop and take that apart for a minute. He, he dwells, write that down, he dwells with, and then he changes it to say, he will be in in you. So Jesus is setting up a clear difference to these disciples, these, these, his 12 here, his 11 at this time of the night. Judas is already gone. And he's, they're probably not catching that, but we can catch that now. But let's just think, what is he really inviting them to in this life with the Holy Spirit? He begins by saying, I'm going to ask the Father to give you another counselor. Now, I want us to learn another Greek word today. Okay, and that Greek word, I'm going to write it on the board. You've heard it before, probably. It's one that gets used a lot. It's the word. Who can tell me what that is? Can you sound it out? Paracletos. 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 In English, we say paraclete. Okay, you've heard this word before, maybe. What have you heard it in relation to? A friend. A friend, okay, a helper. At school, they have Paris. Paris, they have helper. Paris called helper. Helpers, yeah. Companion. A companion. Okay, this is a this is a word that in the Greek. Now Jesus is using this word. If where my version that I read said counselor, I'm going to ask the Father to send you another counselor. Some of yours maybe says advocate. I'm going to ask the Father. He's going to send you an advocate. We want to find the meaning of this word. All, all, almost has a very legal sound in the Greek. I'm going to send you someone to help you. You know, lawyers are called counselors, aren't they? It's interesting that, that the, the God uses this legal term 
for the Holy Spirit. And all we do in our lives is we tell jokes about lawyers, you know. We don't think of lawyers as that great a help sometimes. We think of them as shysters. I mean, there's so much. And that's not fair. I, I don't mean that because I know many great lawyers. But, uh, but the idea is God wants them to hear that I have someone who's going to help you. I've been here helping you. Jesus says, I've been with you for three years now. But it's going to be another. It's going to be the Holy Spirit. And he uses this word, parakletos. I don't think they probably got it that night. What did he mean by that? John, the writer of this gospel, uses it again in, it's a very common word used in scripture for the Holy Spirit. He uses it again in, the, if you can remember back to our study of the book of 1 John. And remember in the letter of 1 John, um, he says, my little children, I'm writing to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does, we have a advocate, parakletos, with the Father. So the literal meaning of this word in the Greek is someone who comes alongside. That's what it literally means. Someone who comes alongside. A paraclete is someone who will come alongside you and help you every step of the way. Going to carry your burden with you. He's going to lift. He's going to. What does a lawyer do for us if we're charged with something? They actually stand and defend us. They do the hard work of discovering what needs to be done, and then they do it. So they don't just come alongside. They actually do something. They 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 represent us. And so it's going to be real important for them to hear this word in the future. Yes. You were talking about how God loves us unconditionally. And um, many of you know, sorry, it still kind of chokes me up. It's okay. That my dad doesn't love me unconditionally. Right. And he always puts conditions on it. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you know, he'll go years without speaking mm -hmm. to me. And I feel like I'm thrown in the trash. Mm -hmm. And um, you were saying how we're human and we mess up or whatever. I mean, I don't know what I've ever really done wrong. Yeah. And, but, um, um, Anyway, and I say I'm sorry, and I don't even know what I'm sorry for. But I say it because I want the acceptance yeah. of my dad. It could <clears> be him. What? It could be him. Something's wrong with him. But, um... It is. <laughs> it is. Trust, trust me, it is. But anyway, I'm so thankful that yeah. I have a heavenly father that loves That's me right. That's right. And I can go to him. And, That's and, right. Um, he's not going to... Say I'm done with you. That's right. Never, never will he say come that. Come back in my life in a few years, and then That's say right. I'm done with you. That's right. Never yeah. will he say that. Imagine if our heavenly Father were unforgiving like that. Oh, yeah. Imagine. Just be horrible. And 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 what we can know is that is that not only is God that loving, He is that willing to come alongside us. Our God, the God of the universe, the God of creation, is willing. To come alongside us in everything we do. But there's one catch. You know what the catch is? We need to love him and obey. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's interesting to note in the grammar of the Greek here, these pronouns are all very emphatic. An emphatic pronoun is you yourselves, okay? And, and uh, he even says about himself, he said um, in some versions, that when verse 16, Jesus and I, it says some of you might even say, it's like he said, and I myself, the I is emphatic, and I myself, I am going to ask the Father for you. And, is, and when he's emphatic like that, I think we can each take that, that Jesus is saying that to us. Whatever burdens we have, whatever problems we carry, like you've shared there, and others I know feel burdens in their lives, whatever it is, we have a father who loves us so much that he gave us a, his one and only son who would say, I'm going to be with you forever through my Holy Spirit. And I will come alongside you, and I will never abandon you, and I will never let you go. Such love. Yes. And it amazes me how many people reject that. And, and i got to ask, I think they're rejecting it because they don't understand. Right. If you really understood it, why would you reject it? Why would you reject the love of God if you really understood how 
amazing it is. And, and I will say to you, you know, even though it's hurt me so much, I pray for him every day. Amen. And I want him Amen. to make it to heaven. You know, um, Well, I want you to see, take just a minute to look at, um, in my rush, because I was going from meeting to meeting, I didn't bring a separate uh, Bible in here with me, but somebody look up the book of Acts, okay? Somebody look up the book of Acts, chapter 2, and I want you to read a verse for me. I want you to read a verse. Acts chapter 2, okay, somebody with... um, Let's see, what versions do you all have? New International. Okay, let's hear it from the New International. Let's see, do you have verse 33? Acts chapter 2, verse 33. This is the Apostle Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Okay, he's been filled with the Holy Spirit that very day and is preaching his very first message to the world. Verse 33. Um, exalted to the right hand of God. Maybe start with 32, sorry. Let's get a little more than that. Okay. Uh, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand, this Jesus to... Exalted to the right hand, this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to, oh, I read that wrong. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are witnesses to the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what God, what you now see and hear. Okay. In that passage, what Peter is saying that Jesus Christ has been exalted to the right hand of God. Now this is after, this is the day of Pentecost. Jesus has already been crucified, dead, resurrected, and ascended back to heaven. And he says he's been exalted at the right hand of God. In or, and it says that he gives to men, what? Read it again there in verse 33. What does Jesus do from the right hand of God? He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So Jesus received from the Father the Holy Spirit and has poured him out on the world. On those who would love him and receive him. Okay? That's Pentecost. That's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus is promising here when he says, I'm going to ask the Father to give you another helper. So we see three distinct roles. There's the role of the Father, the role of the Son, and the role of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our intermediary. Jesus is the one who prays for us. He's praying for them. He's saying, I'm going to ask the Father to give you another. And then... The Father's going to allow me to pour out that Holy Spirit upon you. Now, you may be wondering why I'm being so specific about the roles here. Because this is, this is important. This is, this is part of why um, we want to, part of why we're Trinitarian Christians. There, are, there is one God, but there are three specific persons within that Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they each have... Each have a role to play. Each in perfect concert and union with each other. God is our Father. Jesus is His Son, our Savior, our Lord. And He asks the Father, He prays for us, that the Holy Spirit might be given to us. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of the Trinity in action. So that's why I wanted to point that out to you. Yes? I have a question. Okay. (laughs) When I was a girl... Oh, in my teens. <clears throat> we were free Methodists, which is about the same thing as Nazareth. Okay. A little, a little less, whatever. Yeah. But, and it, they, we were told, when you say, when you are saved, your sins are forgiven. But nothing about the Holy Spirit, be, when you accept Christ into your life. But how can we have Christ in our life if we don't have the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. And then, then you had to have as a second work of grace. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the, the, then you were sanctified. Yeah. And so your then question. I heard others, you know, <laughs> since then say, well, you can't, when you have Christ in your heart and you're in your life, you have the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So your question is exactly what? 
Because I hear what you're saying, but I want to know, I want to make sure I address your question. What's your question? But we were given so many additional rules. Oh, okay. Two. And if, if you didn't do this, and you didn't do this, and yeah. you didn't do that, and yeah. you didn't do whatever, why, uh, I used to think as a girl, and I was, you know, this mm -hmm. is when I was a young girl, um, they're like the Pharisees. Yes, yes, yes. They yes. just make you say you can't go any further than this. You can't do this. You can't do right. that. And all I all I heard for many years mm -hmm. was the you can't do's. Yeah. And there was no way you could keep all of those can't do's perfectly. Right. Okay. So this is a, this is a good point. Now let me. There's two things you've mentioned I want to address because whether you realize it or not, you mentioned something very important about the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to come back to that. Okay. But I think you're. You're illustrating something that is not just, it wasn't just the free Methodists, it wasn't just the Nazarenes. I think almost all Christian churches have been guilty over the centuries of, of misrepresenting the relationship of God to his children. Okay? Think back to this passage right here we're studying. If you love me, keep my you'll keep my commandments. But is God just... Is God just giving them a list of commandments that he wants them to go do and make sure they're obedient children? Or is he inviting them into his love and in the process of that love they are transformed to keep those commandments? See, one of the problems we make with Christianity is when we present it as a list of rules or a list of do's and don'ts or a list of, of uh, haves and have-nots. Christianity is about a, a relationship with God, God Almighty. And it's continual. And it's, it's continual, and it's, and, it's, and it's built on unconditional love. He always meets us where we are. He doesn't put us down for not being better at this point in our life or something like that. And, and he wants to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, you mentioned the, the, the idea of the second blessing, and I, I can't remember the exact words you used. But, but this is what, notice what he's talking about. He says to his disciples, for the Holy Spirit, he dwells with you and will be in you. Did the, did the, did the, uh, did the apostles, these 11 men around the room with Jesus that night. Did they have the Holy Spirit? Yes. Yes. They had him because he was with them. Okay? But did, but see, that's why I wrote this on the board. He, he, he was dwelling with them. The Holy Spirit was dwelling, the Holy Spirit's wherever God is. You know, and Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is manifest. He's there. Jesus is doing miracles through the Holy Spirit. The, the Father, but he's with them, but not in them. That's what I was thinking. Okay? Yeah. And he's telling them, he's teaching them something they're not even going to know until later. And that is that when you're with Jesus, you're with the Holy Spirit. But, but I have a greater plan for you, says the Father. I want you to have the Holy Spirit in you. So, they were believers in Jesus. I mean, if, let's, let's just throw out here uh, some what-ifs. Let's say, pick one, we'll just pick a Thomas. Let's just pick Thomas. Thomas, one of the eleven, he's in the room, he's been following Jesus for three years, but he has a heart attack and dies before the, before the cross and before this resurrection, before they get the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, let's just say it happened. I mean, real life happens, you know. What, what do we do with Thomas? Was he, was he saved? Was he, was he going to make it? What, I mean, in our vernacular of the way we think, are we going to make it to heaven, that sort of thing? The answer is, of course he was. Of course he was, because he had faith in his Lord. He was following God. He had the Holy Spirit, and he didn't have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit yet. That comes at Pentecost. Okay? So, I want to draw this out to our lives today. We can't know Christ. We can't be with Christ. We can't even have faith in Christ without the Holy Spirit. 
Okay, when we get to, we're going to get a little bit further into chapter, I think it's chapter 16, where he says, no one, you, you can't have faith without the Holy Spirit. And I'm paraphrasing it. But the, the Holy Spirit is the giver of our faith. Okay, that's what Peter said in that, in that sermon. He said that Christ is giving these gifts of the Holy Spirit to men. We can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit when we believe. He's with us. He's just not necessarily in us as full as we need him and should want him and that God wants us to have in him. And that's where people like the Free Methodists, people like the Nazarenes, others, uh, other Christians have taught this idea that there is salvation in Christ, but there is also sanctification in Christ. Sanctification is that total surrender, that fullness of the Holy Spirit, that gift of the Holy Spirit. So whether you're, whether you're a, 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 an ancient Christian that believes that comes through sacramental gifts like uh, baptism and chrismation or in a confirmation, or whether you're a Wesleyan who believes we need to have that uh, second work of grace after, the, you can see that either both of them believe it's a second work of grace. You know, why are the Catholics and the Orthodox and the Lutherans and the Methodists, why are they doing confirmation or chrismation? Because it's a second work of grace. The initial work of God is belief. God gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can believe. We couldn't believe without him. But then he wants to give us the fullness of the Spirit. He didn't give them the fullness of the Spirit that night. Why? Because they weren't ready. They weren't ready. But they would be soon. With the two works of grace, like salvation, I've always thought of it as a selfish thing. We come to Christ with our needs. Our, we need our sins forgiven. The second work of grace is when we surrender, and it's what can we do for Christ. Mm -hmm. The first one is what Christ can do for us, and the second one then is when we come to the place of, well, what can we do for you? Yeah, absolutely. What can we do for you? Yeah. If we truly love God, and we're, this is what it all comes back to in our lesson mm -hmm. this morning, Jesus said, if you love me, <laughs> well, if we truly love God, we want to do for him, don't we? Isn't, it's, the essence of love is about giving. This is why I've said before, and I'll say again, God must be Trinity because love cannot exist in a vacuum by itself. And if God is love, then before the world began, there was God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in an eternal exchange of love, because God is love. And love cannot exist alone. We cannot love ourself. That's, that's a wrong love. That's a self-love, okay? That's not the same as love, because ultimate love is giving. Okay, so if we love ourselves in a healthy way, it would be giving ourselves. Giving ourselves to who? God? To, to, to God first? to our spouse, our family, to the world. We give our love away. We give ourselves away to the world. That's the call of Christ. We're called to give ourselves away. And, and in the process of giving ourselves away, if we are committed to Christ and we've been filled with his spirit like they are, and like they are going to be very soon, then we, we have no problem giving to the, to the world. We have no problem giving the love of God away. We don't want to hoard it for ourselves. So I, I think it's important for us. I, I just I only wanted to take two or three verses this morning because it's so important to talk about this idea of love. God is, John is the very writer that gives us those words in his first epistle. God is love. Whatever else you may think of God, holy, just, fair, whatever, I mean, whatever attributes you want to ascribe to, to God. Above all, he is love. His essence is love. Okay? So then we have to understand everything about God in the essence of his love. His holiness is born of it, the essence of his love. The fact that the world has been created, the fact that you and I have had the privilege to live and be born in this world. Sometimes I just stop and think about that. Why was I born? It, it, 
Rick Warren wrote a book a few years ago with a great title. You know, what, uh, what am I here? You know, what was the name of it? Now I can't even remember the title. Uh, what, purpose. The Purpose Driven Life. But the question was, what, am, what on earth am I here for? What, what on earth am I here for? Yes. There's a really wonderful movie that I recommend called Hugo. And I thought it had a really um, great parallel to our, like our creation and our purpose and our life in Christ, where the little boy Hugo compares like us to a clock, because he's an orphan. He doesn't really understand his purpose. But he says, a clock is made. There, there are no spare parts to a clock. Every piece of it mm. has a purpose to make it all work together. And he says, I think that's why. I think that's what we are here for. There's no, there's no spare parts, so there's no spare humans. We are all made. That's beautiful. That's powerful. Thank you, Corbin. That is beautiful. I love that movie. If you haven't seen the movie, it's called Hugo. Beautiful, beautiful movie. Um, and, and that is such a correct analogy. It's such a beautiful analogy. There are no spare parts. There's no spare people. We're all needed in God's plan. The question is, will we participate in God's plan? Because he's given us a free will. He won't force us to be a part of that plan. But boy, once we surrender and once we allow him in and allow him to love us, allow his love to penetrate our lives, our hearts, our spirits, then we, we, we just can't help but overflow. Um, so there's this ebb and flow in the relationship. The, the, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, is, Jesus has, has talked about this before. If we could look back to John chapter 7. Remember in John chapter 7 when Jesus was at the, uh, it was the big festival and he was standing there on the last day of the festival and he talked about, uh, I believe we can look it up, it's, it's verse 37. Uh, let's just read it again because it warrants being read. Except it's in my other book because this book splits John in half. Look up John chapter 7 and uh, look at verse 37. Okay, verse 37. And do you have it there, Debbie? You want to read it for us? Verses 37 through 39. This is Jesus talking at the great festival, uh, and, and he's on the last day of the testimony. He's speaking to the crowds. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowd, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Rivers of living water will flow from where? Our heart. From our innermost being, if we come to Christ. And everyone is welcome, it says. Anyone who believes. But this idea, Jesus, that's the gift of that, that river of living water flowing from our innermost being, from our heart, that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. He flows through us. Uh, it's not, we should never think of the gift of the Holy Spirit as something to keep selfishly to ourselves, to empower us somehow selfishly. It's all about giving. Love is always about giving. Always about giving. Um, so as we come kind of full circle here to this idea of why Jesus is giving them the Holy Spirit because he wants, that, he wants them to have the Holy Spirit in them. He wants them. It's not good enough for him to just dwell with them. He wants, Jesus has to go away. I mean, there, I know that there was a part of them that said, we don't understand. We don't know why you're going away. But in, like us, we don't understand why things are happening sometimes. But there is a fuller plan. God has a plan for our world. He has a plan for our lives. But we have to trust him. We have to uh, open ourselves up to it and know that he wants to bring his Holy Spirit into us, filling us, flowing through us. And when we do that, it, you know, it just, it, Jesus had to go away. They didn't understand why he had to go away, but he had to go away. But how beautiful the scene will be when we get to the chapters, when we talk about them receiving, them understanding, them knowing uh, in the book of Acts. Um, if you look at the very next set of verses, we won't have time to go through all of it, but, but look at the very next set. There's a uh, here. 
And Jesus' next line in verse 18. Look, we can kind of segue to our, to our next study and end with this thought. Jesus said, now my version reads, I will not leave you desolate. Jesus said in verse 18, I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you. Look at that verse for a minute. Your, your, your version might say, I will not leave you orphans. Right. I, I like that. I like that word orphans there. Well, an orphan above all people feels desolate. They have no family. They don't fit in anywhere. It's as if nobody wants them. And we think about that, that movie that Corbin talked about, Hugo, and that this little orphan boy. You really need to watch it. It's powerful. It's poignant. Um... He, Jesus says, you're not going to be like that. You're, don't worry. He can still see it. Why did he need to say that? Because he could see in their faces they're troubled. They, they're, they, they can't help but be troubled. They just can't stand the thought that they're going to lose Jesus. He's going to go away. This doesn't make sense to them. But he says, don't worry. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, notice it says, in, yet in a little while, verse 19, yet in a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So he's actually telling, that nobody's going to see me in just a little while. Nobody's going to be able to see me. Why? Because he's dead. Okay, he's going to die. But then he says, but you will see me. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the resurrection. He says, in that day, then you'll know. Can you imagine when, when, they, when Jesus was resurrected? I mean, we have accounts of those in the gospel. You know, Peter and, and, and John run into the tomb. I mean, after the Mary and Martha and uh, Mary Magdalene, they all see the empty tomb and they run back to tell the apostles. And, and they're like, we can't believe it. So they run. And, and when they first see Jesus, then later that night in the upper room, he just appears to them in the upper room. Can you even imagine what they must have felt? He's alive. Wow. He's alive. He, he, he really is still with us. He didn't leave. Now, they still didn't, even that night, know exactly everything that's going to happen. Because, again, Jesus says, I have to go away for you to get the Holy Spirit. I have to go away. For you to get the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to be the key to everything. The Holy Spirit's going to help you understand you're not orphans. I mean, can you imagine? I, I even like to let my mind run to the day of ascension. Okay? So he, Jesus has been crucified. He's been resurrected. He's back with them. He's got these, you know, uh, another 40 days or so with them where he's, he's appearing to them from time to time still teaching a little bit. He only appeared to certain people. And you got to know they're, they're just shrouded in mystery. Wow, this is good. Jesus is alive. But we don't know where this is all headed. He's still not reigning from Jerusalem. He's still not the king around here. But I don't know where all this is headed. And then Ascension Day. He, he leaves again. He's, he's going to go back to the, the Father in Heaven. And they literally physically watch him leave. And can you imagine how dumbfounded they were? But Jesus told him, I want you to go wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. Remember, I've been talking to you guys about the Holy Spirit. I have to go away. Then the Holy Spirit will come. But you need to go wait. And you need to wait together. Told him to stay in Jerusalem until they receive the gift of the power from on high. So, what is Jesus saying to our life today? Are we orphans? No. Even the true orphan among us, if there is a true orphan among us, someone, even an orphan, a literal orphan, it's not an orphan because God loves him. God loves him or her and wants to manifest himself to them. Everyone has a father. Rhonda's father, not so good. But her perfect father is in heaven and he loves her. Every one of us can, whatever relationships we have in this world that are not good. Maybe we've had a spouse that wasn't good to us. Guess what? Jesus Christ is the perfect spouse. And in a real sense, 
Um, when we put our faith in Christ, I know it's kind of a weird analogy, we marry Christ. We become one with Christ. And he gives his spirit into us. That marriage is, a, is an analogy there. It's, it's, it's one that people in, you know, in, the, in the monks and the nuns and people in monasteries, who they take that vow totally seriously. They just marry Christ. They don't marry humans in the world. And they spend their whole life devoted in that way. Um, but in, in the same way, we are, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we receive his gift, he's like our spouse. Um, whether you're an orphan, whether you have lots of family, you know that there is the perfect family. The perfect family. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who have been given to us in this beautiful exchange of love. Everything God does is based out of his love. Um, well, that's some pretty deep stuff, I know. Any thoughts, questions, comments as we close today? No, we didn't look at a lot of passages, a lot of scriptures, but wanted you to really get what, what the Lord is trying to say to his disciples here about love and obedience. Why do we obey Jesus? Because we love him. Not because we're afraid of him. Not because we're, you know, I, I don't want to love God just because I'm afraid of hell. That would be a sad way to live. You know, that might be where we enter faith. And oh, that's okay if we enter there. But let's don't stay there. And, 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 and let's don't even force people to enter there. Why not, why not preach the message of, of God's love right along with the message of salvation in heaven and hell? I'm not against preaching about hell at all. I think it's real. I think it's a reality. But if we preach about hell, we better preach about the love of God too. Because if all we do is scare people into the kingdom, we've done them no favor. No favor at all. Because I think, they, I think one of the things that the evangelical movement has proved out is that if all we do is, is uh, emphasize uh, the negative, you don't want to go to hell. You're going to burn in hell. You're, if all we do is emphasize the negative, sooner or later, people may convert for a while, but some of them never hear, never go deeper if they never hear the, the message that God loves them and has a plan for them. So we have to be careful to balance. That's what they call preaching the whole gospel. Now it's also just as true that in our day and age, uh, the pendulums tend to swing to extremes, don't they? Uh, I, I think sometimes we don't hear enough sermons about heaven, hell, and sin today. Because it all needs balance. Um, we need the full gospel. We need the full gospel. We need heaven. We need hell. We need God's love. We need to know about sin. We need to know about redemption. And we need to know about sanctification. We need to know about life in the Spirit of God. Wow. What else? Any, any thoughts, questions, comments? I, I read a, in one of my devotions, the person that wrote it, I can't remember who it was, but he was talking about Jesus walking on water. And when uh, the disciples saw him, they thought they saw a ghost. Mm -hmm. Why? Because that was something they believed in. They, yes. did, they couldn't believe in somebody walking on right, water. Right. They couldn't believe that. So they went to something they could believe in. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes in reaching others, they just can't perceive or see, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. Because in their mind... They're limited they by their experience. By what they... Yeah, mm -hmm. we only believe what we, mm -hmm. we know. And mm -hmm. if you believe in a ghost, well, you see a ghost. You don't see Jesus walking right, on water. Right, right. We are limited as humans by our experiences. And so one of the reasons why I think that Jesus calls us to love in action, not just in word, is because they couldn't deny what they saw Jesus do. Right. This whole thing would be different if all Jesus ever did was preach to them. But he modeled for them. He lived the life. And so we need to, we, his, his disciples were, that's what he's saying to them. You're going to go out and model for me. You're going to go out and be my hands and feet. And people are bound by their, by their limitations and their experiences have limited them. They're, some people cannot believe in unconditional love because they've never experienced it. 
So how are they going to believe in it? They need to see it in action. They need to see it from us. We have to live it. The gospel has to be lived, not just believed. I have so many people at Kronos Achilles. I've worked there for since 2015, and since I have, I've had a heart cath that I died on the table and revived. I've had strokes. And all these people, and today my boss wants information about starting to come here. Mm, Good. And I think this is the point. I don't ever tell them. Some of the young girls will go, yeah, but how could God love me because it... Don't you go to hell for being this way? And I said, he's about love. Hmm. You know, I'm not perfect and look what he's done for me. So I do think that's a point. I think we yeah. need to draw people in to God's love hmm. first. Yes, amen. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time today. I'm sorry I got started a little late, but God bless you all. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word to us this morning, for the gift of the message of love the Holy Spirit is our advocate, our counselor, the one whom you give to us to not only walk beside us, but to live within us. So thank you for that gift. Teach us daily what it means to live life in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Forgive us when we fail. Lead us onward and upward. And we praise you in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives with you in the Holy Spirit as one God forever and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. This has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver, inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.